Once again, it really is a special joy to get to be here. Uh, we uh, consider Fellowship Baptist Church to be a very significant and special part of our ministry in Uganda. Well, I say that sincerely. We're really thankful for your church. Even since being here in the foyer this morning, quite a number of people have mentioned that, uh, oh, I've been praying for this, we're praying for that, and we've been praying for your ministry consistently and faithfully. That is a big, big deal. Uh, the Lord has done a work, honestly, in my own heart, just to be transparent with you about how incredibly important that is. We're dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to convict hearts in order to see them turn to Christ, and God uses his people's praying, uh, prayer work to accomplish that task. So we, we praise God for that. Let me, what, we're, what we'll do here with this morning's service is take just a <clears throat> uh, shorter amount of time to sort of give an update on the ministry in Uganda, and then after that, we'll open the Word of God and, and preach this morning. And the afternoon service, as we've done in the past, we'll take time to discuss in more detail various aspects of the ministry, how to pray for it, and certainly leave time for any questions that you all have about the ministry there in Uganda. Let me take just a minute and reintroduce uh, my family. There's even a number of faces here that, I don't, that I've not seen before, so hopefully we can meet those ones today. But uh, my family is who you just saw. Okay, so my wife, Lindsay, and my firstborn is Joseph. He's six years old. <clears throat> Thank you. Good work, bud. And my second is Abby. She's, good job. She's less excited about raising her hand in front of a bunch of people. And our third is Titus. Titus is a relatively new addition. He was born in Uganda, <clears throat> and uh, when he was, when Lindsay was expecting Titus, the people in our village came to us and said, hey, you know, um, when a baby is born here, the village gives the baby the name, not the parents. And we said, okay, maybe if you could run it by us first, you know. <clears throat> so anyway, they got together, a bunch of the leaders in the village got together, and they gave him a name. His name on that side of the pond is Mungufeni, which means God-given. We gave him an English name as well, which is Titus. So his name is Mungufeni Titus. Uh, we, they call him Mugufeni Tito. Anyway, they love him much more than they love us at this point, so they consider him to be their baby. Uh, it is our joy to serve in Uganda. It's really a special privilege of ours to be in a country that is open to expats living there, a place that is peaceful. We were allowed to share the gospel, yet where there's vast regions that are very needy today. Uh, there are strongholds of religion that are there, yet the gospel is powerful to save, and it's uh, certainly, certainly a joy. Um, let me, let's, let's go and show the video at this time. We have this video that'll sort of give a glimpse into this last, these last three years and seeing what of some of what God has done. And then I'll, after that, I'll mention a couple of specific things by way of prayer requests and how to um, uphold this ministry prayerfully. In 2019, God made it possible for us to move our family to East Africa to the northwest corner of Uganda. And we have been very grateful for the privilege that it's been to serve here among these people. From the time that we moved here, we have endeavored to learn the culture that we live among and to learn uh, the language of these people to the best of our ability. And it's been fascinating at times. It has been eye-opening as we've stayed with people, we've sat with people, we've sought to understand the way they think and the way they live, uh, as, as it's very different from our, from our own way of living. But the reality is it's also been saddening at times as we see the, the reality of how 
of this culture works and the way that it truly is broken by sin. It's a broken society in desperate need uh, of the gospel. Uh, there has been countless uh, really special opportunities to, to bridge our, our culture and language study into the gospel as we build relationships and find out that people do not understand the gospel. We've gone home to home, stayed with people, des um, desiring to, to learn the language in that way. In the course of doing that, we have had some really special divine uh, appointments of being able to share the gospel and begin evangelistic Bible studies. We've been able to see uh, some souls saved and, and some homes even changed with the gospel. I'm called Sunday Sedik. I've been a great sinner for many years. Though I was a Protestant and Anglican, I didn't know about Bible, uh, the, the reality of the Bible stories. When I first met uh, Brother Joe, who introduced me to Bible studies, so that's when I started learning a lot of good things from the Bible and uh, I decided to give my life to Christ following the reality which I got from the Bible, Bible teaching. Swandik Sunday's testimony truly exalts the power of the gospel. We've been able to see his home transformed in notable ways. It has been an immense encouragement, just a tremendous blessing to us to watch him in his home. Uh, I remember the moment he came to Christ and watched him grow over some months as he decided to really depart from traditional religion that he'd been raised in and follow wholly after Christ. He's really grown and exalted the name of Christ in his home. We continue to pray for him. Our children are a special addition to our ministry and we're so thankful to be able to raise them in this culture, in this context, where children are looked at as a blessing and uh, they're thriving and we just praise the Lord for how in the first three years through the adjustment and the transition of moving, God has helped them so much and they are blossoming into their own little kid missionary positions. One relationship that has been a particular blessing to my heart is a friend called Aikoru, that means happy, and she came to me last fall at some point and asked if we could have a Bible study. Her heart was prepared, soil ready to have the seed of the word planted. After a six-week Bible study together, she saw for the first time the truth that what Jesus did for her was complete and it was full. And just last week, she again shared her testimony with me how she never understood the reality of what that little word fully meant. And she said, some people think that's a small word, but to me, it means everything. And it encouraged my heart so much to see how God is changing her and transforming her and really done a work in her life. As we settled into this world and into this ministry, we came to realize that about half of this community is, is Muslim. We have been able to uh, enter into the Muslim community in certain ways and in certain relationships and even done uh, good Bible studies in Muslim homes, showing them the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross and our need for a savior. We continue to pursue that opportunity, realizing it is a great need um, and desire to see Muslims uh, come to Christ at some point in time. So we cover your prayers in that way. 
the local church is God's plan for advancing the gospel here in Uganda. Um, strengthening and coming alongside local churches is a great burden of ours. Here among the Lugbari people, um, there is a few, there's a small handful of, of little village churches that, that we have relationships with, just a few. And on Sundays, we, from Sunday to Sunday, we go and drive out to these village churches. Sundays are our favorite day of the week. We love piling in the car and driving out to the village churches and then hiking from the car in some cases out to the church and to, to be with these people and uh, worship with the small groups of believers that are here and to sing with them and pray and just be together in fellowship. Village churches are very near and dear to our heart. It is a great joy to see a small group of believers gathering together to worship in a place uh, where there's little or no gospel influence at all. We seek to be a blessing on these Sundays that we go out, but really we come back with our own hearts filled and refreshed. As a part of advancing the church, we have realized and experienced personally the great lack and need of strong spiritual leaders uh, here in this region. In January of 2022, we uh, began what we're calling the West Nile Bible Training Center. Uh, we're part of the leadership of this training center uh, in partnership with uh, our missionary co-workers as well as local Ugandan pastors here in this region. It was a really special and a joy to see um, village pastors come with young men and we had a good group and the opportunity to train them in Bible teaching was, was exciting. We anticipate much more of this uh, in the future. Our vision for our next term involves, uh, generally speaking, the Great Commission, make disciples, followers of Jesus, and to teach them. Uh, with that, we plan to move forward with a Bible training center. Our plan is to hold a two-week training block quarterly, where we have pastors come with young men and, and teach good in-depth Bible, Bible teaching in order to equip them to do the work of the ministry. Also as a matter of priority in our next term is, is the great need among the Muslim community. Um, there are many, and Islam truly is advancing. It is growing at a significant pace, except for a uh, work of revival or a genuine work of the Holy Spirit here in this place, Islam will continue to advance. So for that reason, we are decidedly making it a matter of prayer and a focus of our energy to build relationships and inroads into the Muslim community. So it is a joy to be able to take the gospel to these people, to, to uh, live among them, love them, have relationships with them, and, and seek to reach them with the gospel. Well, I trust that's encouraging in some way, just seeing into that culture, into that place, and what God is doing uh, in hearts. Being among, being among people who are born and raised in a place that is having very little gospel teaching uh, causes us to realize how incredibly fortunate we are to be stewards of the gospel, to have been born in a country and even born into a home and a church where we were given truth from the Word of God and it was right and it was good 
To be able to take that somewhere else is such a privilege, such an incredibly special joy. <clears throat> Swandik Sunday, uh, I'm always encouraged to, to watch that video and see his face. He was a special blessing to my heart personally and just an encouragement as far as the power of the gospel in his uh, home. We first met Sunday in March of 2020. March of 2020 is a month that I suppose we'll all remember maybe forever. COVID happened. That was the beginning of the lockdown time in Uganda. It must have been right around that time here as well, I guess. And um, the president of Uganda said, we are closing all the major markets. You're not allowed to transport people on the back of your motorcycles anymore, which literally millions of people do that. It became really difficult for people, some very serious restrictions. We were not allowed to drive our car, period. So we were stuck at home with uh, the neighbors that live immediately around us. Sunday sells shoes in the big market and suddenly was unemployed, could not sell shoes in the market anymore. So I come out the front gate one day and see right across the street this man setting up like a makeshift shoe rack to sell shoes on the side of the road. And I went over and introduced myself to him. It was Sunday. And uh, we began a relationship. He's a school teacher and was been, has been one of our best language helpers, language uh, just sort of teacher. Uh, we're, we're thankful for, for him in that way. Well, one point in time, we went over to his home, and his wife was there. His name is Susan. And she had this gash on her head, this like the wound on her head. It looked really bad. And um, we speak with them in, in strictly, uh, with the family anyway, strictly Lugbara. Sunday speaks pretty good English, as you saw there. And uh, I said, Susan, what, what happened to your head? It looks pretty bad. And she said, oh, manga, mango abalea yiduzu is in the ornio zirudumai. And Lindsay and I looked at each other and I was like, did you hear that right? What she said was, um, yeah, I came from the valley this morning to fetch water, and an evil spirit came out of the water and got me, and I fell on the rocks. And we were like, wow, that's one we haven't heard before. Um, since then, we've heard it. It's common that they, um, they certainly believe there's evil spirits living in the water. Anyway, Sunday said, we need to get prayed up. We need to go to church more, and we need to pray up to be able to combat these Holy, these, these uh, evil spirits because we're fearing these spirits. So that's confusion. He didn't know the gospel. He didn't know the power that the Holy Spirit has over such things. So from there began a spiritual conversation, and it was really a joy to work through Bible studies with him and see, um, see their home really change. It's, it's been special. Uh, that, I, say, I share that story primarily because of the fact that that home and that, uh, that story has been typical of this first term in Uganda, as you all have been praying for us, is just a focused uh, couple of years of language learning, and in the course of that language learning time, seeing certain inroads and like clear opportunities to go from language learning to, hey, so far we've just been talking about these simple vocabulary words, but now let's talk about um, the gospel, because right in front of our face is the obvious need <clears throat> for a clear understanding of the gospel in these people's lives. A couple of other prayer requests that I'll mention um, in a somewhat general way, but what uh, we feel led to highlight in terms of our next term is, first, uh, the Muslim community. I know you all have been praying for a number of specific Muslim people even, um, and we are wanting to just work diligently and pray for these Muslim people. Uh, it really is a, a, an opportunity. They, they welcome us to their home. 
They find it intriguing that there's Americans living among them, and they claim to believe the Bible. Now, they give preeminence to the Quran, but they claim to believe the Bible, therefore are willing to do Bible studies. If you pray with us that we would see a harvest among Muslim people. Up until this time, we've not. We've not. We've had good Bible, Bible studies with them, but there's not been a, a specific a visible uh, fruit of reaping of these souls. For that reason, what we talked about in Sunday school is very important to me, just knowing that the Word of God's powerful among, their, um, among those people as well. If you'd pray for these people, pray for these uh, Muslim families, that we'd see a breakthrough of the gospel among them. Only the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit will cause someone to leave their entire religion, home, life, and be ostracized by their family in order to cling to Christ. So we need to pray for them. The other prayer requests, and I uh, put these in some way on the back of our new prayer card, is the need for strong spiritual leaders in these village churches that, we're, that we get to be working with. So these village churches are young churches. Um, two of the primary ones we've been working with were planted by our, in partnership with our co-workers like a year or two before we got to the field. Very young churches. And what that means is young believers. It's not like our churches here in the U.S. where we go to church with people that have been Christians for 50 years. They're young believers, everyone, including whoever is preaching, including the leadership of the church. Um, if you'd pray with us that we would see strong leadership raised up. The training center, as you saw there in that video, is a brand new aspect of our ministry. We can talk more about that in the afternoon. There's quite a bit to, to discuss as it relates to just that aspect of the ministry. But that um, was born out of a realization that we seriously need to embrace the task of equipping, um, making them followers of Jesus, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Um, but we need the Holy Spirit and the power of God to truly see that happen. So if you pray about those things, we appreciate your prayers. Why don't we turn in our Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> read a portion of this chapter, and then ask the Lord to bless our time here this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 1 of this chapter. Actually, let me begin reading in the last verse of chapter 4. All right, so the last verse of chapter 4, which is verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Verse 1 of chapter 5, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Let me go down to verse 8. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we have great purpose in our life because of the sacrifice that your son made on our behalf. Lord, I pray you'd help us to look to you here in this uh, time that we have this morning. Lord, we've gathered here for the purpose of giving you the worship that you're worthy of. Help us, Lord, to look to you here this morning. 
We realize your word gives great life. So make it clear to us as, as we look at it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a passage in a time when the Apostle Paul is writing to this church of Corinth. He spent a lot of time at that church already. A long time. He wrote a long letter to them already, 1 Corinthians, and now he's writing 2 Corinthians. He's made a substantial investment in these people. And um, from reading 1 and 2 Corinthians, we see that these people um, gave him problems, maybe more so than the, any of the other churches he'd been involved in seeing planted. Yet the Apostle Paul, as a steward of the gospel, as a servant of Christ, was faithful among these people. And then now here, in, in a somewhat, somewhat later point in his ministry, is still so faithful among them. Here in this passage of chapter 5, writing to this very church, he's writing to them, showing them what motivates himself as a servant of Christ. He's writing to this church, telling them what, essentially, if I can put it this way, what gets him up in the morning, what makes him go, what has caused him to be faithful. The purpose being not just to learn about the Apostle Paul, but the purpose being to learn what God's heart is for us and how we as servants of Christ can be, can be faithful, can be motivated in a biblical right way. Verse 1, we read, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God in house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The first thing we see <clears throat> that this church is being told that applies so much to us now is that the servant of Christ lives and is motivated by eternity. While he's writing this very letter, while he's addressing issues like real-life things that were going on, the servant of Christ here was living in a, a very conscious reality of eternity. Um, verse 18, we read verse 18 because it is related to this very same topic. We look not at the things which are seen, the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He had a perspective that was based on things unseen. And he says, if my tabernacle is dissolved, my body, if, I, if it goes away, we have a building of God and home not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What's he talking about? He's talking about his, his life after death. He's talking about his spirit going on to heaven, a very like point-blank distinction between his material part and his immaterial part. He's living and is motivated by eternity. You know, it's been said by some that such and so is so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. We've heard that said. I think the biblical answer to that is that's not possible. We should be very, very heavenly minded as servants of Christ. Somehow, striving to daily remember and think of eternity. There's a real heaven right now as we speak. There's a real hell right now as we speak. People are there, and they are burning. It's just the truth. Are we heavenly-minded people motivated by eternity? Verse 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Saying, in this body we groan. It's an interesting thing to say. Earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven, 
again, talking about his heavenly body, talking about his life that's coming in heaven. He's saying, we lit- I'm literally like groaning in my body as I'm writing this to you. That's what the Bible's telling us here. Verse 3, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. And he goes on with the same theme. I'm not going to go through all of these verses, but sort of want to get down to verse 8 um, to see what he tells this church about this very thing. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather. In other words, desirous of, like it is our will. We are willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. <clears throat> sort of ironic almost as he's writing this letter to someone, to these, to these people in this church, to say, to be honest with you, I'd rather not be writing this letter right now. I'd rather be gone. I would rather be absent. That's exactly what it says. He tells the church at Philippi the same type of, type of thing in Philippians 1.23. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful um, for you. So there he tells the church at Philippi, I'm struggling here. Part of me wants to be there. Part of me wants to be here with you since it's more needful for you. The church at Corinth, it just says, I'd rather not be here. I'd rather be gone. I'd rather be absent. He desired eternity. He wanted to be in heaven. That motivated him as a servant of Christ. It motivated him as a steward of the gospel. Now, um, it's interesting to think about this. Someone who is longing for heaven, looking to heaven, I'm just looking forward to going home. That could move someone to idleness. Therefore, this life is tough. I'm groaning in my body. You, you know what I'm saying? But it did not. It did not move the Apostle Paul to idleness. That was not a discouraging thing. He wasn't walking around saying, oh, woe is me. I'm groaning in this body. I have this thorn in the flesh. It's terrible. That was not the case at all, as we see in verse number 9. Wherefore? Wherefore? In other words, because of this, because I'd rather be absent from you, because I'd rather be in heaven right now, clothed with my heavenly body, wherefore we labor. Look at that in verse 9. Wherefore we labor. That word is, is interesting. That word labor it's not simply talking about work, like contract labor or something. It's talking about really um, striving uh, to, to make it our ambition to, to aspire to, to make it our aim. We labor, we strive because of this. That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Because I'm mindful of heaven, is what he's saying. Because I, I'd rather be with him. Because I would rather not have this body on right now, but my heavenly body. While I'm here, I'm striving, making it my ambition to be accepted. To be accepted of him. You think of Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living Sacrifice holy and acceptable to him. Present yourself to him that way. We're going to be like that in heaven. We're going to be uh, pleasing and acceptable to him as we worship before his throne. But the motive of a servant of Christ, which is, which is most of us today, 
is to strive in this way, whether present with him or absent. So the servant of Christ is motivated by eternity. How often does eternity come to my mind? Can I spend an entire day working with eternity out of sight and out of mind completely? I know, I, I know I've been guilty of that before. You get down in the trenches of whatever you're doing and you can just forget about that reality instead of literally being motivated by that, that, by that very thing. The servant of Christ lives in light of eternity. Second, if we look here at verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto you, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Second, we see that the that the Apostle Paul, faithful in his ministry, is now telling this church that he is motivated because he is conscientious of the judgment seat of Christ. He is aware that the judgment seat of Christ is coming, that he will stand before the throne and give an account of everything that he's done in his life. And this certainly ties into that very same theme of what we saw in verse 9, of being acceptable, preparing himself to be acceptable to the Lord. Verse 11 is where we just read, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. I, I think we understand the Apostle Paul was not just literally terrified of God, like, oh, I'm, I'm working hard in ministry because I'm terrified of what could happen, but certainly had a healthy fear of, of God and who he was as, as a judge and as a righteous God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He was conscientious of the throne of God, the judgment seat of Christ that was coming uh, in his life. <clears throat> Let me read ahead, verse 12 and 13. For we commend not ourselves unto you again, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is, of, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Now look at verse 14. I really want to draw our attention to this. It's a, it's a, it's a well-known verse, but let's draw our attention to it this morning. Verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So we've seen here already that the Apostle Paul was motivated by eternity, living in light of eternity, realizing that I'd rather be gone while I'm on earth, ministering among people, I seek to be acceptable of him here just as I will be there. Second, he was motivated by the judgment that was coming. He wanted to present himself, a holy sacrifice, like we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But then now, finally, later in this chapter, he's motivated by the love of Christ. For the love of Christ constrains us. Look at this verse, verse 14, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We thus judge. In other words, he's saying we've judged, we've evaluated the situation. Because Christ has died for us, we've all died. The love of Christ constrains us, and we've evaluated based on that 
that we, we, we've all died. And verse 15 explains that very well. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He's saying, look, the love of Jesus Christ, that powerful love that took him to the cross, constrains us, compels me and moves me so that I can no longer live for myself. Verse 15, and that he died for all, so that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The Apostle Paul was motivated by eternity, but he was motivated also by the cross. A constant reality, a, a, a real awareness of the cross of Jesus Christ constrained him, compelled him. That's what motivates us as the servants of Christ. Verse 15 is, is powerful, where he says, and that he died for all so that we would not henceforth, we would not going forward, from now on, we would not live unto ourselves. When you think about that phrase, live unto yourselves, uh, I can't help but to think so much of the American way of living. Americans, our culture in general, live unto themselves, right? How much can I consume upon myself? How much money can I make so that I can spend all that money and make my life as pleasurable as possible? Living unto yourself, that's what we see all around us, right? People enjoying themselves as much as they possibly can in an earthly, generally almost always fleshly way living unto themselves. What this verse is saying is, because of the, the compelling love of Jesus Christ, because he's died for me, I cannot going forward, henceforth, I cannot do that. I can't live for myself. I'm different now. Um, I cannot henceforth live unto myself, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Lost people living that way, lost people living for themselves, really shouldn't be surprising. If I were lost, I would try to find as many pleasures as I could to fill the emptiness in my heart, I'm sure. That's, that's what lost people do. But as people who know Jesus Christ, <coughs> as people that are compelled by what he's done for us, if we see ourselves accurately as blood-bought people, people that have just been redeemed by a, by a great God, we should be able to ask with the Apostle Paul, or say, I should say, with the Apostle Paul, going forward, I can't live for myself, but for him who died for me. That motivated him. That caused him to go forward and live a life faithful to the end. I look at um, faithful men that I've, I've had in my life, men that are now older or even gone on with the Lord, that have served God faithfully for decades, for longer than I've been alive, <clears throat> and think, wow, there is something very real and powerful motivating them to continue on. The love of Jesus Christ. Henceforth, or let me look at verse 16 now. Verse 16 and the next few verses, <coughs> excuse me, show us how this plays out <coughs> in a Christian's life. Excuse me. Um, 
So what does that look like? We don't live for ourselves. We don't live like the normal American, consuming things upon themselves in a fleshly way. So what does that look like? How are we going to be different? And the next few verses help us so much in seeing exactly what that means. Verse 16 says, wherefore, henceforth. Now, I I don't know about you, but I like these words. I feel like they just connect the whole thing together. Wherefore, in other words, because of this, because of the love of Jesus Christ, and then henceforth, what does henceforth mean? From now on, here's how it's going to be, right? So verse 16, wherefore, henceforth, know we no man, man after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Interesting verse. What does this mean? What does verse 16 mean? (coughs) Know we no man after the flesh. Unsaved people see each other, see one another, see the world around them. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm sorry. I have a uh, dry throat with allergies this morning. Unsaved people see the lost world around them after the flesh, in a very human, ordinary way after the flesh. The Apostle Paul here is saying, From now on, henceforth, we don't see people after the flesh. We see them very differently. Not only people in general, but also Jesus Christ. Someone who doesn't know Christ. Someone that does not glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. um, Sees Jesus after the flesh. In other words, sees Jesus as an ordinary man. Maybe as some kind of icon in their life. Uh, It makes me think so much of our Muslim friends. They know who Jesus is. They've heard about him. They've been taught about him. They see him as a man, as a prophet, as someone who's not the son of God, who was not born miraculously of a virgin. They see him after the flesh as an ordinary man. Even people in our community that claim to be Christian, yet um, are not, don't truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, would know Jesus Christ in some way after the flesh, in an ordinary way. <clears throat> The message here is this, because we're glorying in the cross, because we're living in light of the cross, because we're compelled and constrained by the love that Jesus Christ showed on the cross, we don't see this the same way anymore. We see Jesus Christ differently. We see him as our redeemer. We see him as our savior. We see him as the only hope, whereas before we are hopeless. And then verse 17 This is a good verse that I suppose most of us, or many of us, learned growing up. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, this verse can be be applied and preached in many different ways. It it is used in many different ways. But for the purpose of our passage here this morning, let's just apply it very specifically to the context it comes from. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. What's passed away, and what has become new? The way that we see people. That's what the verse prior just said. Because we now are living in uh, in light of the cross, because we are saved people, the way that we saw people before has passed away. We see them very differently now. The way that we saw Jesus Christ before as a man after the flesh, we see him very differently now. We see him as our Savior as our Redeemer. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Do we, as, as, as God's people, do we 
um, see the lost world around us after the flesh? Or, true to this passage, do we really see people in a completely new way because of our salvation? <clears throat> you can see the way our world views each other after the flesh, viewing people according to race, according to gender, according to various identities, according to class even, a very fleshly way. That's what they have to go on. But as God's people, we can see them so differently. And see them after the Spirit. See them as souls, realizing they're people that God loves that need to find this same Redeemer. Verse 18, And all things are of God. We're almost finished here. Verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So what have we seen here in this passage, just briefly? The Apostle Paul, motivated as a servant of Christ, motivated by eternity, loving in light of eternity, motivated by the the, the coming judgment seat that he'll stand before. And then here, finally, motivated by the love of Jesus Christ, motivated by the cross. How often does the cross of Jesus Christ come to my mind as I walk through my daily life? I am a sin-sick person that has been bought back by Jesus Christ. The only hope for eternity, let alone hope in this life, is Jesus Christ? Am I living in a constant awareness day to day that I'm bought by Jesus Christ? I'm his. I don't live the same way anymore. <clears throat> Verse 18, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And now, in addition to that, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation? The task of going to tell others about the reconciliation that's happened in my life so that I can, in, in turn, share with them this great truth and they can be reconciled as well. So these are the questions that we find from this passage. Are we living in light of eternity? Are we living in light of the cross and being faithful in the same way that we see this very well exemplified for us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? I'll close in prayer here this morning and, ask, and then turn it over to Pastor Stephen. Father, we thank you. Lord, you are... Um, Lord, the love of Jesus Christ most certainly should compel us and constrain us, Lord, to be faithful. I should be more faithful because of the great love that you've shown to us. I pray that you would, I pray that you'd speak to us in this way, Lord, rebuke us where we need that, that we would live just realizing <clears throat> that we're the recipients of so much grace. Allow that to compel us, allow that to motivate us as we, as we strive to walk in this way. In Jesus' name we pray.